0: All right, we're at Mark chapter 1, verse 21. I want you to engage your imagination here. Um, there's, a lot, there's a lot going on that will be more understandable, I think, if you, if you try to place yourself in this place. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes and immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit and he Jesus cried out what have you to excuse me he the man <laughs> uh, what have you to do with us Jesus of Nazareth have you come to destroy us i know who you are the holy one of god but jesus rebuked him saying be silent and come out of him and the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. As we look at this text this morning, I want to get into the place, Caper- Capernaum, on this very special day and, and think about it. And then out of that, I want to draw three, three lessons. So let's just take a little journey, though, through time. A um, little fun with maps here. If you could go to the next slide. Um, the Sea of Galilee is in the northern part of Israel. And that little red dot is where Capernaum is. Was And uh, if you go to the next slide, we'll zoom in a little bit. Here's here's kind of what that area looks like so you have an image in your mind. And then if you go to the next one, there is actually quite a lot of archaeological um, remnant there. And so we know what this little town, Capernaum, would have looked like. This is a fishing village. And we know where the synagogue was, and that's the larger building with the red dot on it. And still to this day, there, there, there was another synagogue built on top of the one that was there. But underneath it, we can see what was actually there. So we know that this was the, for, the layout of that particular synagogue. And then the other dot that's closer to the sea, um, we're pretty certain that that's where Peter's house was. Um, and there was a church built on that very early on, uh, after. Um, you know, the time of Jesus being there because they would have recognized where this was. And then under that church, you can still, I guess, see the footprint of that original house. And so we have a a really beautiful kind of sense of of what's going on here in Capernaum in this little fishing village. And so Jesus goes into that synagogue and then he goes over to Peter's house. And and let's think about what, what happens there. Now, the synagogue was an assembly hall. Just so you understand... Um, the sacrifices were only offered in Jerusalem, not everywhere. So it's not wherever there was a synagogue, there were sacrifices. That would just be an assembly hall. And wherever there were enough people, they would, in a particular little village, they would create a synagogue. And um, every Saturday, they would gather together, and, and the Torah, the law, um, the Scripture would be read, and somebody would talk about it. And, and usually, it was a layperson who did this. So they just took turns, um, ta- you know, teaching Torah, um, every week and, and that that image to me is really beautiful to think that in each of these towns you know it was the practice of the people to bring out the scripture and read it together and to understand it and to, to let it form the community so this little community would form kind of around the the word and how critical that is for all communities and how wonderful it is that, you know, you can go in different places in the world and you see the commu- there's, there's that possibility of community being formed. And what we do every week in this place is like that. We're forming community around the Word. And it's so incredibly important. It shapes in ways that we don't even understand how we approach life and, and, and what we do and what we think in beautiful ways. It keeps us focused. I love that about, about that. And the people, as Jesus was teaching, they marvel. Jesus would have been you know one of the lay preachers uh, that would have come and, and, and talked uh, at the synagogue that day, and they would not have expected maybe anything to be different than normal but but when he talks they they receive it in a different way it's, it It has a certain kind of authority, and they're thinking. Well, is it kind of like the scribes? Because the scribes were the experts in the Torah, in the law, and they knew all the traditions, and when they would speak, they would speak out of this deep well of understanding of the various traditions, and they would they would know their scripture backward and forward. And they're thinking, Well, is Jesus teaching out of that kind of thing? And they say, No, not really. He's even different from the scribes. It's like he's just speaking with authority. And there must have been a kind of a clarity to it and, and, and sort of a, a directness. Because as we've learned so far in Mark, Jesus has the blessing of God as the Son of God. And so he's speaking out of this unique authority to them, and they're receiving it. And it's like nothing that they've ever experienced before. And that authority, uh, which is of himself becomes important for what happens next in the synagogue. There's, there's a man with an unclean spirit. So imagine Jesus is teaching, and then somewhere in this process, there's a man with an unclean spirit. In the synagogue, I find this to be really interesting. So he, he's out on the lake, and he calls the disciples. He goes into the synagogue, and there, that's where the person with the unclean spirit is in the synagogue. And it just reminds us that, that the, the people of God are messy, Right? When we gather together, um, we're, 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 we're a mess oftentimes. and we're not, It's not the gathering of the perfect people. It's the gathering of the people who have need of God. That's what, that's what we are. And in, in that day, it was a saying, the people gathered together because they had need. And this person had great need. And, and so we ask, what does it mean? It says that he was with unclean spirit, this person in the synagogue and, and what does that mean? Have you ever wondered what does it mean to have an unclean spirit, to be to be oppressed or attacked by demonic activity? What does it mean to be influenced in this way? I mean does it mean is the spirit is in you or beside you but really strongly trying to control the person? What 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 does this mean? And 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 it's, and, and it's probably something we'll never fully get our minds around, but I love what, what one commentator says. He says, the demonic power had usurped the center of his self. I, I think that's really helpful language. The demonic power, in this case, had usurped the center of this person's self. He was with this unclean spirit. And, and it gives us this understanding that what happens is that what can happen is that control of the self, we know this to be true, right, can be given over to all kinds of different entities. We can give control of ourselves to another person, right? We can allow that person to take the central controlling place in our lives. We can give control of ourselves to God. We can give control of ourselves to Jesus. And that's what it means, ultimately, to become a follower of Christ, is to give control of ourselves to Christ. He takes up the central position in our lives. But by the same token, control can be given over to evil forces that that seek to destroy us and to mar the image of God in us. That's what they hate. They hate that we're made in the image of God. And so they want to take over that place. And, And that can happen when we repeatedly comply with the influence of evil in our lives. So to the extent that we, can, we, we, we say yes, and we comply with the evil influences in our lives, we allow evil to begin to take over that central place. And the more that we do that, the more entrenched evil becomes. And it seems to me as well that sometimes when people uh, are suffering abuse or when they're in a very vulnerable position... Um, evil will swoop in. Uh, maybe somebody uh, during childhood who's been in a very vulnerable position, suffered abuse, and, and maybe doesn't have their defenses up in the way that they might be able to do later. Um, and evil loves to prey on, on, on those situations. So that there's a kind of a continuum where all, all of us are being approached or attacked, if you want to say, by evil probably on a regular basis. Um, And to the extent that we comply with the efforts of the evil forces in our lives, then we turn over more and more of ourselves to evil influence to the point where sometimes the stronghold, the hold that evil can take on us becomes so strong that we no longer are able to break it in our own strength. We need a power greater than us to break that stronghold. We need, we need somebody from the outside. We need something that can snap, can free us from the chain and the imprisonment that, that has become our lives. And I don't think this is just for Jesus' day. Uh, this is something that also can take place in our day. And, and I think that in our society, we, you know one of Satan's ploys is to, to make us think that there's not really a spiritual realm. We're very, especially where we are, we're intellectual types, we're rational, scientific, and, and so we, we, we have this sense that, you know, if he can keep us um, blind to the fact that there's this spiritual realm, then, then uh, maybe he can continue to do his work. And so I think for us, sometimes there, there isn't a lot of the sort of craziness that you see in the New Testament. If you go to other parts of the world, you will see sort of this wild, radical, spiritual frontier. But for us, we don't, we don't always see this. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's not there in subtle ways and very, very powerful ways that evil takes strongholds in our lives. Um, and so this can happen. And so we, just like this man in the synagogue, we need power that's greater than the evil that would influence us, attack us, seek to usurp the center of our lives. And that's exactly what we have in the person of Jesus Christ. If you would look at verse 24, this man cries out, influenced by the spirit in him, this evil spirit in him, says, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, first, it's interesting that in the Gospel of Mark, it is the man influenced by the demon who first calls out who, and identifies who Jesus is. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? But, right, so the demons understand. They understand who God is, understand what's going on in the spiritual realm, and they use that knowledge to their advantage when we might be ignorant of it. But what's also interesting about this is the language that we have in verse 24. He says, Jesus of Nazareth, okay, and then he says, Holy One of God. Now, that's, that's not language that we see in very many places, a couple of places in the New Testament, the Holy One of God. But then the, we have to go all the way back to the book of Judges and the story of Samson to see that language. And then in your Bible there, it'll sometimes say a Nazarite of God, which is a, it's the same root. So Jesus of Nazareth, same root as a Nazarite of God, so it, it seems that Mark is making a connection here, or at least calling out the connection that the demon's already making, between who Jesus is and Samson. Now, you remember the story of Samson? Samson goes in to the house of the Philistines, and they have him chained up, and he's standing between the pillars, and his massive strength, he pushes against the pillars, and he brings down the house, Okay? with this massive massive strength. So it seems to be that what we're getting at here is that Jesus is kind of the the real true strong man in this way that Samson was the strong man to bring down the the household of evil, to bring it down. And Jesus is able to bring it down because of his massive strength. Just like Samson, but now to an even greater degree. So when we, when we cry out and we realize that we need power to break the strongholds in our lives, we need power to come against the influence of evil in our lives, we can know that we have in the person of Jesus Christ that very strong power. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed. So then, on this amazing day in Capernaum, Jesus goes to the house of Peter, um, just walking out of the synagogue and going over to the house over here. And, you know, as we studied last week, you know, Jesus had come along the shore and he called Peter and Andrew, these brothers, and then he called James and John. And so they're with him in this whole process. And now he's going to go over to Peter's house, this man he's called to minister with him. And he does a healing in the house of Peter. And it's, it's not a particularly noteworthy healing. It's somebody who's struggling with fever. And so he heals the mother-in-law of Peter, and she gets up and she starts to serve them. It's not noteworthy except to say this. It says something about the character of Jesus and the mission of Jesus. He brings healing to the... He's called Peter to be an instrument of healing in the lives of others, to be on mission with Jesus, proclaiming the kingdom of God and healing He's called Peter to that. But what does he do first? He goes to Peter's house and brings healing to his house. This is a really important principle of the way Jesus works. He doesn't just come along and call us and, and, and then send us. He brings healing to our own house first and then sends us. So he calls Peter. He cares for Peter, in a sense, and his household. And then he sends Peter out on mission. And the same with the mother-in-law. Um, she is healed, and then she gets up to serve them. And, and people have made a, a deal about, oh, this is subservience or whatever. No, Jesus, I mean, Jesus is the chief servant. He's going to offer his life, you know, a living, toning sacrifice. He says, I came to serve. Um, so, so she's just being like Jesus here in, in serving. Um, but she's healed, and she... And that's, there's that same principle that, that as soon as you, you're healed, then you begin to serve. Um, you don't just sort of rest back. Um, the gospel comes home, it comes in, and then it goes out. That's the way it, it works. And then the whole city, it says, starts to get, I love to picture this, the whole city gathering at the door, everybody, you know, all their longing, all their suffering, all their pain, all their frustration, all their dashed hopes, They're all just crowding at this door because this beautiful thing is happening and people are being healed and the whole city was gathered together at the door and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And one of the things that, that we know about Mark is that is that when he tells this story, he wants us to really clue in on who Jesus is when we get to the cross. And so that's why probably he's making sure we understand. And Jesus in his ministry, this is a ministry of humility. He's not going to use his, his star power to coerce others. And so there's a kind of a humility about the way Jesus. So he's always forever telling people, not, don't tell others about what's happening. He's sort of keeping it. He's sort of keeping a lid on it. So we see this over and over again in the gospel that He tells them not to speak. All right, so that's the day uh, in Capernaum. And there's three truths that really help us, as we begin to pour into the lives of others, there are three things that treat truths that help us um, to do this effectively and powerfully and well and in a way that, that um, brings true healing to people, because that's what we want, right? We want to bring true healing into the lives of others three truths about healing and freeing the first one is is simply this that jesus is the true strong man he's the one who brings down the house of evil and later in chapter 3 we're going to see that he is the one who's able to defeat he uses that strong man language he's able to defeat the strong man jesus is the true strong man that's what he does he defeats evil now Um, I would like with you to turn over to Colossians. Actually, I'll put it up on the screen. Colossians 2, um, verse 8. And and here we have in non-metaphorical language. So we're using the metaphorical language of Jesus like Samson pushing out those pillars and crashing the house of evil down. Okay, Jesus is like that. But we have um, non-metaphorical language explaining kind of behind the scenes what's going on in Colossians 2, verse 8. And and, and so I would like you just to, to listen in. Um, at what's actually going on here. Here's what Paul writes. He says to the Colossians, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world. And so there we have that activity, that demonic activity at work in the world to capture people's minds and to usurp the center of who they are, according to the elementary spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So those people, as they're sitting in the synagogue in Capernaum, they're experiencing um, teaching that has a different kind of authority. Well, why? Because they're listening to God talk. That's what Paul's saying. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him... You've been poured into by Jesus. You have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. And what is that talking about? Basically, you have been freed from that fleshly part of you that always wants to comply with evil. When evil comes knocking and says you should try this, hey, how about this? What about this? Oh, I bet you'd like this. You have been freed from that part of you that can't help but say yes. By the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. That's the thing that's different about the Samson story, right? So Samson crushes the building and it all comes down and and he dies. And Jesus kind of does that same thing, but then he rises again. Demonstrating the power at work in him and for us. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. That's how Satan keeps us pinned down by throwing the law at us and saying, you have not complied, you are not worthy. And Jesus took care of all that on the cross so that we could be freed this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. All those accusations of Satan, all those, all, every time evil tries to nail you down, Jesus already took those accusations, put them on the cross, and paid for it. Listen to this. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Do you see this? Do you see what God is doing? He's disarming in Christ the rulers and authorities and putting them to open shame, just like that's what was happening in Capernaum on that day. All this that we just read in Colossians was, was sort of unfolding right before their eyes in a beautiful way. Jesus heals and he frees those that you're pouring into. And I hope you're thinking about people during this series. And we're going to talk about this more later. Are you thinking about people that God's calling you to pour into? And as you pour into them, God brings healing and freeing that they desperately need. Just like Christ fights for you. I, this in the Gospel Academy course, Jackie uses this language, and I really love it. Cr- you know, Christ, fight, we fight for one another. We, Christ fights for us. He pours into us, and then we can go on fighting for others, fighting for their healing and their freeing. That's that's what we get to do in Christ. And so um, when we pray for others, there's something really powerful going on. We're not just saying words, empty words, hopeless words, doing something nice so they know we like them, right? I'll pray for you. If we mean by that, I like you, we've missed the boat. There's something potentially and wonderfully, profoundly powerful when we say, I'll pray for you. Because we are calling on this very power that we've been exploring this morning and asking God to apply it to somebody's life in in their sickness, whether it be physical or otherwise, or in their imprisonment. And if you look at the way that, that Jesus interacted with those that he healed, it can give us some lessons on how to pray for one another. And so let me just give you um, something to think about. When you're praying for somebody um, who needs healing, you know, think about, first of all, faith in the work of Christ, the accomplished work of Christ on the cross. That What we read in Colossians, it, you pray out of a faith that, yes, Jesus has in fact overcome He is the true strong man. He's overcome evil in the world. And he he stands in victory. And so we pray under that umbrella with an understanding of the victorious work of Jesus Christ in the world and over evil. We pray also with a deep compassion for the image bearer that's before us. So Satan hates the fact that he hates us more than anything else in creation because we bear the image of God, okay? And he hates God, but he can't get God, so he gets at us. So we pray with an appreciation and a compassion and a love for the image bearer. God, Jesus isn't just beating Satan, and we're not just pawns in this chess game, and he's moving around. No, he's actually on a mission to recapture us from enemy territory because he loves us, because he has compassion for us. And so we pray out of a sense of deep respect and love and appreciation of the image of God in each person and out of that compassion. We pray also with the authority, under the the authority of the name of Jesus Christ. You see this in many of the healings and um, the exorcisms that Jesus carries out, um, so much of it has to do with his name. His name is greater than. And so we don't just sort of sprinkle his name like pixie dust on our prayers. We actually say, we actually pray in the name of Jesus. It's a recognition of his authority and his victory. So we pray in the name of Christ. Uh, and, and, and then we pray understanding that authority That is given to Christ. He is God himself. So if you want to remember these. You could just say. um, That you have to pray with faith. uh, For the image bearer. And then in the name of Christ. And with the authority of Christ. So if you wanted to write that down. There's an F, an I, an N, and an A. Faith. Image bearer, name, and authority. When you call through and you look at how Jesus prayed, you see those elements present. So when we're praying for people, we're praying within that framework. Faith, image bearers, the name of Christ, and the authority of Christ. So Jesus is the true strongman. If we're going to go about pouring into others and hoping to see this healing and freeing take place, we need to understand that Jesus is the true strongman. The second one is this, is that, Healing starts at home. Healing starts at home. Jesus is the true strong man. Healing starts at home. We talked about a lot of the reason people don't pour into somebody else is because they're unwilling, they're too busy, or there's a lack of training. But I would add another one. We're too unhealthy. I see this, I think, fairly frequently, and I know it's true in my own life as well at, at times, that we are not well emotionally or relationally, and that keeps us from being present in our relationships to be able to pour into the lives of others. And healing starts at home. This is a really important principle. That God wants to work healing in our relationships, in our marriages, in our relationships with our kids. Maybe it's our finances. Maybe it's the busyness of our schedule. God wants to work healing. Maybe it's something that happened to us long ago and we're still, we're still living out of this trauma. And we haven't grappled with it and dealt with it. God wants to bring the healing home. And then out of that to bring the healing in to the lives of others. And so... I want to encourage us this morning. If part of the reason you feel like you can't pour into the lives of others is because you yourself are so desperately broken and hurting and suffering, then you need to seek healing starting today. God loves you and wants to see you grow to mature in Christ, to have some of these broken things addressed and dealt with so that you can know Him most importantly, but then he wants to work through that to bring blessing to the lives of others, and we're going to have a time of prayer at the end of our service this morning, uh, the end of our sermon. And if you go to the next slide, I would like you just to be thinking about this is a, something that I use oftentimes when I'm thinking about how to apply scriptures. This comes from um, um, uh, Kenneth Boa, and um, it, it it just sort of is uh, this this picture of an integrated life with Christ at the center, and so. When you think about your life, where are the broken parts? What, where is there need for healing? And, you know, it talks about your relationship with God and then you know, your relationship with the Word, your image of God. Is your image of God broken? And do you need healing there, your prayer life? And then over here is your relationship with the body, meaning the body of Christ, the other believers in your life, your, your family life. Is there brokenness in there? Is there brokenness in, you know, when your friendships within the community of faith, your church life? Um, have you been traumatized or hurt in a church setting? And, you, you know, so there's brokenness there. Um, your ministry life, maybe you stepped out to to, to minister to others and, and something happened. And so you've been sort of, you've been gun shy. Um, down at the bottom here, we have relationship with yourself. You know, we've talked a lot about this in the book of Ephesians. Your image of who you are and having Christ define who you are, allowing Christ. Some of us, our brokenness is associated with our image of self. And then over here, our relationship with the world. Maybe we have work issues or financial issues or, you know, issues at systems of the world. That that these things get in the way and they keep us from um, being uh, as available to God as we would like to be. To pour And we're going to have a time of prayer. So I would like you just to think about, is, is the Holy Spirit, the church is gathered and the Holy Spirit's present, is the Holy Spirit tapping you to say, look, you, just, you need to begin a healing journey in this particular area. Which area is it? And we're going to pray. We're going to spend some time um, praying in just a few minutes. And then the third point. So healing starts at home. Where do you need to, be, where do you need to engage God for healing? And then thirdly, healed people serve. Healed people serve. Again, The mother-in-law steps up to serve. Peter is called into service. Christ serves. And serving means pouring into others. I think it's tempting for us to think that we can serve God in merely doing tasks. But at the end of the day, it's, it's never ultimately about tasks. It's always about people. And everything that we do ultimately has to result in somebody being poured into. And and that can happen even if you set up a chair on Sunday morning. That's for a person. Okay? That's what that chair is for. You're pouring into that person by putting that chair there and and giving them a place where they can worship and hear the scripture unpacked for them. All that we're doing, all the service is about pouring into. And there's a tension here, right? We we, we can't wait until we're perfect to pour into the people, other people's lives. If we wait until we're perfect, we'll never do it in this life before Christ returns. So we've got to step out in our brokenness. Henry Nouwen wrote this book, The Wounded Healer. Right? It's a beautiful concept that we're always wounded healers. Okay? you know I'm sure the mother-in-law, when she was cured from that fever, she probably had other problems. But she served. Peter, you know... His mother-in-law gets taken care of. He had other problems. In fact, we know he did because we watched his life unfold, right? Um, And yet he still... So there's a tension there. We serve out of our brokenness while at the same time we pursue healing. But healed people serve. It's what we do. We can't sit back and just try to receive. In fact, you can't just receive healing and not... Sometimes your healing is wrapped up in your serving. Healed people serve. All right. And then at the end of this thing, this beautiful picture of this day, verse 32, that evening at sundown. Oh, I wish I could have be at that, in Capernaum at sundown. Can you imagine that day? That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together. Together at the door. Just imagine those people. All image bearers broken, and now suddenly with hope. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And I just want to ask you this morning, is Jesus still doing this? Is Jesus still doing this? Is Jesus still doing this? this? Is Jesus still doing this? Okay? If we believe that, if we believe that he's still doing that, then then let's, let's seek it. And one of the things that's beautiful about this is that they came as a community. They came as a community to Peter's house where Jesus was. And They all brought their own unique problems and struggles. But they came as a community. And they were not afraid if, okay, people are going to know what my issue is. Okay. It's okay. Because Jesus is greater than. And so let's come as a community. The way we're going to celebrate communion today is we are going to I'll open the table in just a minute. We're going to have communion available for you here, but we're also going to have people uh, from our prayer team that are up here to pray with you. And we don't need to make this into a big deal. This is simply, you know, coming to Jesus' house and asking for healing.